Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Dentists Who Invest official podcast. I believe we're on episode number 28 from memory, but you can't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it is number 28. Number 27 was an absolute stormer uh, with Julian Keane. So we're going we're gonna to follow that up today and I think we're going to hit even higher highs. This is going to be even better because we've got another chap, another dentist on who is someone who's obviously a very keen and diligent dentist and he's he's driven himself to prepare, to propel himself to the position where he's already a practice owner from such a, a very young age and that was why I thought that this might be an interesting podcast that would speak to a lot of people. You may have seen him on the group, he's very active, he's always commenting on lots of things and I'm very happy for that because he's got a lot of expertise to share. His name is Dav. How are you today, Dav? Yeah, good, thanks. And yourself? I'm absolutely smashing, mate. I just got in from work. Uh, and I had a brilliant day, so yeah, I'm uh, ready to go. I'm looking forward to shooting to this pot, shooting this podcast. It should be fun. So, Dav, just for anybody who doesn't know you on the group, can you just speak a little bit about who you are? Maybe just a little bit of an intro to those that haven't met you yet. Um, yeah, sure. My name's uh, Dav. Um, I'm a practice principal. I own a, a practice in uh, Glasgow City Centre. Um, and then I also spend my time doing some trading and working in between Glasgow and London. So I'll fly every every other week and I'll see uh, mainly my Invisalign patients in London and spend my time between the two places. That's exciting. And Dav also does some Forex trading, which is on the sexier side of investing. So we're going to come on to that at some point. Uh, that does get, it does turn a few heads. Forex is something that a lot of people want to get into, but maybe they don't know quite what it entails, the risks, how you can balance it with being a dentist, etc., etc. But Dav will happily elaborate on that later, and a little bit of stocks. And of course, he somehow manages the time to be, still be a dentist, fly to London, and run his dental practices. So I think this is going to be an interesting one. You talked about owning a practice. Dav, I was hoping yep. that you might be able to speak a little bit more about your journey into practice ownership because you are still at the tender age of 31 and there'll be a lot of people who are young dentists or associates who are listening to this who'll be thinking about taking the leap. What did your journey look like? Um, I had a bit of an unorthodox journey into uh, practice ownership. I think the first thing... Uh, I'm a, a postgraduate student, so I did uh, dental materials in 2008, and then I took a year out. I actually didn't get into dentistry, and uh, that was probably the trickiest thing was actually getting into dentistry in the first place. Um, eventually, I got into a postgrad course in Aberdeen, which is kind of why I'm still in Scotland. And then once I finished in 2016, uh, I moved to Glasgow. I had a fantastic VT position um, at Mary Lee Dental. It's in the south side of Glasgow. And I stayed there as an associate um, up until, I think, 2019. 
uh, in the summer. And then that's when I begin to transition into as a practice owner. And um, so it's a bit, bit unorthodox. And um, the, the reason and the main reason I ended up um, moving into having my own practice is uh, I really wanted to start placing implants or, or to continue my implant journey. Um, and it's, it's not always the easiest thing when you're, you're working in someone else's practice um, in order to be able to, to one, do the cases that you want to do or, or be ambitious and, and try more complex things. Um, and I, I get it now as a practice owner is your reputation is at stake. Um, and it's, it's not the easiest thing to let some, a young dentist come in and go and do a few implant courses and then come in and place implants in your practice. One, it doesn't really breed the same confidence into your patients. And, and two, it begins to affect your reputation in the practice as well to have someone that, that's quite an experience that can't deal with a lot of the complications that you get with uh, implant placement. And that kind of transitioned me into getting my own practice in order to, to start placing more implants and take my journey down implants. Oh, I see. I see what you mean about the slightly unorthodox route, but fair enough. It, that served as your sort of call to action or maybe kick up the backside a little bit, really. You were working- yeah, I think, I think that was the, the catalyst to, to kind of move me on into getting my own place and buy the practice and then start placing implants. As, as, that's what I thought it would be. And then when I became a practice owner, I was like, okay, day one, I'm, I'm ready to, to start placing implants. And then you have all these financial pressures that you, all these things that you never, ever thought about, um, you know, and the, 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 the cost of these things are astronomical that you, the implants is the last thing that you're thinking of in order to keep your, your business running, you know? Um, so yeah, the implant thing took quickly took a backseat up until uh, fairly recently um, where I'm doing my MSc now. Um, and that's kind of come back into the frame. It's um, a much, much more difficult thing owning a practice than you you initially. Uh, I went into it really naively and uh, <laughs> with only only tunnel vision on placing implants. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard a few people say about practice ownership that naivety is your best asset. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't. I haven't, but I 100% agree. Uh, every day is like a slap in the face. I'm like, oh, that, that's why Usman told me not to do this. Or that's why he told me that. That's why he said that to me. And every day it's a slap in the face, but it's, um, it's, it's really reassuring as well because, you know, all the lessons and things that I learned in my VT, I was a very, he, uh, he was very clued up on, on making me understand the business side of things and really gave me a head start at being a practice owner um, in order for me to then go on and, and do my thing as a practice owner. But yeah, definitely. You don't know what you don't know, and I suspect that it's like it's like that for a lot of things. And when you get into the position, you're 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 ultimately in that in that position. And the first thing at the end of every month, you must make sure that your staff get paid, and that comes above everything else. Doesn't matter whether you pay your lab bills, doesn't matter whether you pay rights or Henry Shine. Your staff get need to get paid first. And you know, some months you you know you might not might not be able to pay everybody, but you know your staff always get paid. So. Um, you, you learn very, very quickly as a practice owner. I was just about to say that. I bet you, that I bet that you learned very fast. Did you struggle? Did you have anybody who was happy to mentor you? Um, yeah. So I have, I have a partner. Um, my partner is an architect. So he builds and he builds dental practices. He goes into to surgeries and he fits them out and he puts in the chairs, cabinetry, X-ray equipment designs the surgeries does all the signage and everything so he he was quite a good mentor and he's he's still always i'm always learning from him 
but we bring two different things to the business. Whereas one, I do the dentistry um, and he then provides and feeds the patients into the business and then make sure everything else is still running. So we work really, really well together. And that's, I think, a very key thing about the partnership is you see a lot of partnerships kind of fall apart um, and they don't go so well. And it's normally because they're two dentists uh, who tend to be two two alpha males that want to do the same thing. They both want to place implants. They both want their big work. Um, whereas with uh, me and my partner, we both bring two completely different things to the business. I can't do what he does and he can't do what I do. Amazing. What would you say to any young dentists who, out there who are aspiring to own their own practice or even not necessarily young dentists and just associates in general? Um, do it. 100%. Yeah. Just, just do it. Yeah. You know what? Um, I think that you've just... Yeah kind of yeah. cut to the essence of it there you really just have to yeah, yeah but, fair enough yeah, yeah you, you have to take you have to take the lead um the the hardest thing about owning a practice is managing the staff and any any practice owner will tell you that it's managing your staff is you roll over at 8 a.m or whatever time you want to get up and you get a text saying i can't come in today um that that's the hardest thing to deal with is dealing with the staff absences dealing we, we're kind of fortunate we uh, we don't have any staff issues. There's no fights between staff. No one. There's no he said, he said, she said in our practice. We don't have any. They might be going on about me behind my back, but uh, <laughs> as far as what well, I can see, there's there's no rifts or anything. And if any, if there's a bad egg, that that egg gets moved on quickly. Yeah, I mean, you have a part to play in that as well because when you employ people, it's all about finding not necessarily someone who is the most competent or adept at the job, but also someone that's going to fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, we, when I when I bought the practice, I started off with me, and I inherited two other nurses. So it was there was just three of us in the beginning, and um, we we slowly grew where we had we we now got seven nurses, um, and we've been replacing one nurse position over and over because we cannot get that right person to fit in the group. And and I think now we kind of come together where where it's beginning to gel and it's kind of beginning to fit whether it's uh reliability whether it's attitude or whether it's performance in six um you know the, those kind of things um it's that one position that you cannot fill and i think uh, i know a lot of principles will, will resonate with that as well and it's if there, if there are any bad eggs in your team that that egg needs to be moved on and you need to get the right team because everybody needs to come together and uh, you need to create an environment that your staff want to come to work every day. You know, they, they, they feel like they're a valued member of the team and that their role is important, which it is, but they, they need to feel like that. Whether they, if, if you have a, if you know that your, your, your staff is important to you, you need to make sure that they know that as well. Cause they don't always have that feeling of, Oh, I'm important in my role and my position. Would you do it again? I wouldn't do a squat practice again. Um, <laughs> I, where 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 I've you know I started uh, it was me and two other members of staff and I started on a half a day a week and I used to come to the practice and there was no one there um, I think I'm beyond that point in my career where I would willingly um, take the loss of, of of income in order to start a squat practice again um, I think I, I no longer need to be in that position I think it's uh, there there are pros and cons. I think with the current environment that we're in, I wouldn't do a squat practice again, but certainly I would I would buy an established business and, and look at, uh, I would buy an, an established business that has things that I can improve on or add to it or add value. You know, you can go look at a practice that 
say has a two surgery, two surgery practice with room to expand, to add implants, to add Invisalign, to add composite bonding, to add uh, hygiene services or, or those things to really grow the business. Because the, the, the value in the practice is not really in the money that you take home every month. It's in the goodwill. It's in, it's in the capital gain, you know, and, and that's what it is. Can I take my business from zero pounds to a million pounds within five years as a capital gain while also taking my home, my associate income um, and then sell that off? And then, you, you know, can, can you turn that around? And, and to do that, it's incredibly difficult. It's an incredible amount of hours to, to do it from a squat practice. So, yeah, that's why I would go around and look at an established business, something that's doing fairly well, but has a lot of room to grow. I would never go out and buy, um, you know, a million or a million and a half pound business. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Bit of insight to share with that for anybody who's listening. Maybe you might want to think, you know, given Dav's experience on the matter, you might want to uh, align your thoughts a little bit more with what he suggests. Let's talk about the, obviously, the, the most clear return in terms of expectations and what you can expect to get out of being a practice owner is the fact that you make more money. Aside from that, what would you say the greatest perks are? Maybe the perks that people wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, I don't know all practice owners would 100% agree with me that they would say that they make more money. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I think, maybe, you yeah. know what? maybe that's my totally naive outside looking in perspective on it. Maybe it's not even like that. I don't know. In which I think, case, you, I can, think um, you can shatter the illusion today on this podcast episode. Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes that Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report, or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Hey, I don't know every practice owner would, would, would agree with that. I think there are some, some to say, you know, for, for me, the way I look at it is if, if I come to work and... I'm employing 10 other people and I'm having to deal with the absences, the, the quarrels or hiring or firing of staff and, and responsible for 10 other people's incomes, then it, it better be worth more than 10 or 15 or 20% of my uh, associate income. You know, if I'm having to order stock and, and deal with people who are chasing up for lab fees and things like that in the beginning where there's an added pressure, I'm having to deal with the water leaks and compressors failing and, chairs failing or the handpiece is broken or the nurse is broken something you know it's, it's not worth my time for to do that for an extra 20 or 25 percent uh, more income i'm better off being an associate you know come to work and you you're your last one in and first one out and um, you know you turn up and the materials are there they fall out the sky and fall into your lap and you're ready to <laughs> to, to use your panavia yeah. and aquacare and everything else the fairies bring them um, right the fairies bring them to yeah. the stockroom and they're just there right that's how it works yeah so <laughs> for, for me in terms of being a practice owner financially has to be way, way, way high. I'm responsible for 10 people's incomes. I'm responsible for making sure that everything runs like clockwork and making sure that 
my business and the reputation and the social media and the marketing and everything else is is gone into that and it's a lot of hours that even when we leave the practice that we're still working when i get home at nine half nine sometimes i open up my laptop and my wife's just looking at me and she's like are you for real um you gotta do what and, you gotta do and, man that's the entrepreneur yeah, life in it and, and financially it's got to be rewarding whether it's in the beginning or whether it's it's later on down the line yeah. otherwise you know you know but for for another aspect is principals might say okay i can work five days as a week as an associate and take say 80 grand a year or i can do three days as a practice owner and i have two days off um that is two days of free time you know you can't buy time you can't uh, earn any more time so you know they might not take any more money but they might have more free time so you know the, there there is a trade off or you might have principles to say okay you know what i don't i don't i will work one or two days a week and i'm happy with, with with less money having to do less work so i don't think i don't think every principle makes more money than the associates i know certainly there are some associates that are making a hell of a lot more than their principles yeah fair enough that's i'm glad that you said that because maybe that shattered that illusion a little bit for me and that was always my understanding of it from the outside looking in definitely so it's interesting to hear you say that uh well and just in just in addition to that when i was saying earlier about the other perks that other people might imagine would you would you throw anything in there uh maybe things that people wouldn't necessarily initially think of um one is that you get to do everything the way that you want to do it the business runs with your vision so you say okay i want to uh do lots of invisalign and i want to market to invisalign and i want to push my practice down that route then you dictate which way that goes you dictate how the the money gets spent and the second thing is you start and you you work when you want you work the hours that you want you know if you don't want to work fridays you don't work fridays if you want to i start i start at 10:00 i i i'm i'm not getting up to to start work at 9:00 um, <laughs> that's uh, what I, a I'm lifestyle not, that's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i start at 10:00 because um i don't i don't i, I don't want to work at um nine o'clock in the morning i don't want to uh be doing that the third thing is you get to you get to pick and choose what work you want to do you know ultimately when the inquiries come into the practice you you can dictate okay uh, okay i want to do the invisible and i want to do the implants and i want the associates to do the composite bonding work and uh i want the, the hygienist to do you know all of the cons work and the restorative work so you get to pick and choose which work you want to do um in terms of your staff you you can you, you can dictate in terms of how you want to build the business you know i work with two nurses and, and i want to have two nurses in my surgery i want one person be, to be scribing what i'm reading out to them writing my notes and i want the other nurse to be nursing uh or cleaning up the room or doing the instruments or getting things ready for the next patient because they ultimately build efficiency into my team um you know i want the staff making the profiles for the patients for invisalign I want my radiograph uh my nurses that are trained in radiography to be taking the OPTs for me. Um I want my staff to be taking the clinical photos for me in order to build my efficiency into my team and I'm I'm also an associate in London so I have a unique perspective of being an associate at the exact same time I'm a principal. Um and I don't get that same uh luxury when I'm in London. I don't get two nurses. I don't have uh staff creating profiles or uploading photos to Invisalign for me. I don't have them uh following up with me, you know, bringing me a list every morning to say this is what you need, these are the patients we need to contact or this this is what we need to do. Um it doesn't quite work in the same 
old machine because you, you've not made that machine. It's not your, and it's also not your role to dictate to say, okay, I want to do this and I want to do that like this. It's not your business. So you don't get that same luxury and say. Amazing. And Dab, as we so, um, oh, sorry, you more to say, go on. No, no. So, so, so there are many perks of being a principal, but that comes at a cost as well. You know, the, the, the cost is your time and your effort. Totally, man. Totally. Cool. Awesome. So Dav, as well as that, as well as being a, an associate and a principal, you also do some investing on the side. Would you say that you're, you, because one of the perks might also be that you have more time to afford towards your investing side of life, you can spend more time investing, or would you say that that's important, or would you say that that's something that is true? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, I, I do a few different things of investing, and I invest in in, in quite a few different things. Um, ultimately, you need to decide on on where is your money best utilized. And, you know what what and what what are your short term goals, what are your medium term goals, and what are your long term goals. Um, ultimately, um, for most most dentists that are in a position, they'll they'll be in a position where. Um, they'll be earning enough to be able to be able to put some money aside. Um, and then with the money that you're putting aside, you need to, you need to figure out how you're going to earmark, earmark that money. Where, where is that money going to, how are you going to allocate and how much do you have to allocate? You know, um, without, uh, if you're not earning as much to have to put aside in terms of to suit your long-term goals, then you need to make some lifestyle changes. And if you can no longer make the lifestyle changes, then you need to readjust your goals. So it has to kind of be a balance. You know, if you're, yeah. if your goal is to save, save and earn a hundred thousand pounds and you want to keep that in a bank account for a deposit, then you need to obviously be putting away the right lump sums every month in order to facilitate that goal. So, um, really depends on, for me, it depends on how much money I'm earning in order to say, okay, I can put this much into my ISA or I can say, uh, this much into my forex or i want a passive income from rental property uh, or i want to purchase more property using the money that i'm getting back from rental property so really the the really depends on your cash flow and your long-term goals the, the the first thing that you need to determine is what are your goals okay where do where do you want to get to what is the point and then it kind of reads back to say okay i want to do forex or i want to do uh, my isa to for a long-term investment or i want to get involved in uh, rental property uh, for a more passive income. So that's kind of the way it kind of takes shape. And I do a bit of everything. That's not a bad point, actually, to kind of work backwards in that sense, to sort of figure out what your long-term ambitions are, maybe your risk profile or something like that, and then consider what your options are in terms of assets to invest in. I don't think that's a bad point at all, actually. Just another way of looking at things. Maybe you might, Maybe someone might look at uh they might say well actually i'm playing the long game and they might say well okay maybe i want to get some gold some physical gold and some indexes and some bonds uh some indexes in bonds and some indexes in shares and some other people maybe who are a bit younger maybe they can afford to be a bit more racier because their their main ambition is capital appreciation rather than capital preservation so just another way of looking at it i guess and that's a good point what do you invest in then, Dav? Is it, you said, you mentioned Forex, uh, and I think you mentioned stocks as well. Yeah, so um, the, I, I kind of, investment, it depends, depends on how you're looking at investment. I would say 
Forex is probably, it's, Forex definitely I wouldn't class as an investment. I would class that as, a, as another way to have a source of income. How do I uh, make more capital? My, so that's, that's one of the things I do. Um, it, as for investments, where do I take the money that I'm making from dentistry or being a practice principal or from Forex? There are streams or avenue of income. Same with rental properties. Once you invested in the rental properties, then designed to give you passive income. Forex is not so much of a passive income. It's very much active. But in terms of where I then take that money, in terms of going to crypto and going to my ISA, going to a SIP, um, and then long-term investments and long-term holds, the pro property is kind of the unique one where it's an investment, but it's also giving you something back. Yeah, fair enough. Interesting stuff. Cool. So I don't know how active you are in your investing. I know that you said that, yes, you have to Forex is not a set and forget one. Is that something that you day trade or is that something that you take a long term, a more sort of long term approach to? So I, ideally, my um, ideally, I'll take the swing trades swing trades over the, the the days the weeks the months if you can get into a position if we look at uh, say gbp usd you can see that's been riding for a number of weeks now so if you get into an entry on the position on on gu you can take that for quite some time the markets don't always give you the opportunity to take really long-term swing trades and then which you, you need to then adapt to the markets and say okay you know the markets are range bound in a period uh, at the moment, can I get? Can I enter the market and take my positions? In which case, you can then scale up your entry size in order to then make the same amount of money if you take the final, uh, if you take your final positions and your final profit. Or are you going to take a, a longer trade with a smaller position over a longer period of time? I must say, I didn't so actually really know it was possible to swing trade forex. I always thought it was a day trade thing. You get in and out. No, swing swing trading is um, it's a lot. It's a lot less stressful. The, the more you go down in the time frames, um, the the more stressful it is. Um, the more time you'll spend at the computer, um, and it's uh, becomes more and more difficult to do as you um, you do. In some instances, there are, there are, there are unique challenges in in day trading, and there are unique challenges in uh, swing trading. And really, it's just a test of your skills. It's um, and and everybody that we meet in in the kind of forex world or that that actively trades forex um, require the same set of skills, and not everybody has that. And um, and you doesn't matter how good a trader you are if you don't have these fundamental skills in terms of uh, discipline and time management and patience. Patience is the most important one. Um, then you it doesn't matter how good you can read the markets how close to your entry you can get in within a five pip stop loss or whatever if you don't have these key skills then you you'll not be a successful trader so really the discipline and the attention to detail the time i think that there's a bit of a misconception that the more that you trade the more profitable you are and it isn't always the case the people who are day trading i mean i would take up a position in crypto where i would leverage a day trade every maybe every month and it's only when i look at a chart and i and i just happen to be in front of the computer at this precise moment and i look at a chart and i think that looks too good i have to i have to take a roll of dice yeah. on that one you know what i mean but i'll only do it every so often but 
the emotional aspect to it, like the stress, particularly when you're trading with high leverage, how much it goes up and down in a few seconds. I don't think a lot of people are prepared for that. And I see a lot of times I get people who come to me and they're in jobs where I know that they're very busy and maybe they think that you can just flip on the computer at any one time and these trades are just there. You just have to have a trained eye to look for them. In my experience, it's more about just happening to be there before you, there's like a low hanging fruit just ready to go. And maybe that doesn't come along every once in a while. And certainly if you're sat there in front of the computer all day, staring at a screen and you're waiting for something to happen, you'll be more tempted to take up positions where they aren't necessarily very good positions in terms of risk reward. And overtrading is the name for that. And overtrading is real 100%. And I only know because I've been there myself and I've, I've tried to force it a little bit. So maybe that's just an interesting point or maybe something that people don't really think about so much. So I was interested to hear about your Forex and I immediately assumed, assumed that you day traded it and I wanted to know how that looks. But it sounds like you might be aligned with me in a sense on that one because you'll look at it and you'll think, okay, this is what the chart looks like. This is what it's giving me. I'll either, I'll either day trade short-term position this one because it looks like it's range bound, as you said, etc. Or you might look at it with a more long-term view based on how it looks. So there's some flexibility there on your part. And I think it's important to not go in there with this rigid mindset that you're going to try and day trade it, you know, bang, bang, bang every day. It's very hard. I, there's very, very, very few people who can do that. The skill, the lower a time frame you get, more exponentially, it takes exponentially more skill to trade it. And maybe the one that's suited for most people is those slightly more long-term positions, particularly dentists who have very, they're very time scarce. They're very time scarce. Just something to think about. When you are investing, I know that you do your Forex, I know that you do stocks. How, does your, how do your stocks portfolio look? Does that look similar to your Forex in terms of the time frame over which you're taking up positions or are they even more long-term things still or how does that compare? Um, for, for me, um, with when you come from, a, initially when we started all of this, it was, you know, 2016, 2017, where we're looking at rapidly entering the market uh, in order to gain as much as you can in crypto, you know, trying to, it doesn't matter what, what you bought in, in 2016 or 2017, Whatever you bought in terms of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, XRP, Ethereum, Litecoin, um, it was all going to go up. So you're not. It's it's not. It it was never skill at that point. It was never. I was so skilled in the market. It was. Um, you took a punt, and the punt was the punt was good. Um, now there's a there's a, there's a little bit more skill to it. Um, but in terms of stocks and shares. When you're looking over the time period of 10, 15, 20, 30 years, um, it doesn't really matter where you when when you enter the market. It doesn't matter to say, okay, I'm going to enter at this position because I'm going to be three percent up. You know, you, you need to be looking at these stocks for the long term. If you look at stocks like Microsoft and Apple, when you view them on a ten or fifteen year chart, they're only going in one direction. They're they're not they're not going in any other direction. And um, so, timing in the market is um, not as important when you're looking at the positions over a long period of time. It's time in the market is more important. Whereas that's the opposite for forex. Timing in the market is absolutely everything in forex. Um, 
and that that's the most critical. So there, there are two completely opposite um, uh, points of view, depending on on what your goals are. My forex goals are very short term. Um, my investment goals, uh, my ISA and my stocks and shares are very very long term. The idea and the goal of them is to be you know close to three to five million pounds as a as a long term uh, asset before I begin to liquidate that asset. Interesting. And presumably you invest in stocks through stocks and shares, I say. Yeah, so I have a, I have a rule. I think I've, I've posted it a few times in the group. I have a, a kind of uh, list of things that I follow. If, I, if, if you only have a, a limited amount of, of funds, for me, um, in terms of what my goals are, I follow this, this set of rules. And the first is a lifetime ISA, which you have a £4,000 limit on. A stocks and shares ISA, where you have a £16,000 limit on. And then you can then begin to explore your other opportunities in terms of depending on what, what's suitable to you. If it's a rental properties, practice ownership, or you want to go and buy more stocks and shares and then begin to use your capital gains allowance, things like that. Um, I think the most important thing um, before you jump in and do anything is speak to a really good accountant. And you need to have, be having these conversations with your accountant before you start entertaining the idea. It's no good to say, okay, I'm going to start doing uh, property investment and then you buy maybe three or four properties and then find yourself in a little bit of hot water in terms of from a taxation point of view and um, same was when you're looking at trading stocks and shares speak to your accountant you know if you have other businesses that can finance that you might be doing that through a limited company um, so depends on whichever taxation setup is is the best for you but you need to have that conversation before you entertain the idea Awesome. How come you opt for the LISA in preference over a, a stocks and shares ISA? Um, the LISA, if you put four grand in every year, the government will give you a thousand pounds. So you can then reinvest that extra thousand pounds into whatever stocks and shares that you want. So say over the course of 30 years, I get 30 grand back from the government, but I can then reinvest to buy whatever stocks, whatever shares I want, whichever indexes or exchange changing funds. Um, so that's that's free money to me. And I know that over the course of 30 years, if I have 30 grand extra, that's going to be worth a hefty amount in my hands. Yeah, fair enough. And obviously you're taking the long-term viewpoint on that because I believe with Eliza, you can't obtain your money until you're 55 or unless you use it to buy a house. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Cool. Interesting one because usually most people go for the stocks and shares, I say, first of all, but... You can definitely argue a case for prioritizing Elisa, first and foremost, one hundred percent. Yeah, I think if you're if you're well, depending on whatever your goals are, I think for um, for me and my own personal goals, it's that long term growth. Um, you know, if you start playing around with the calculators and you look at, say, I put twenty grand in every year um, into my stocks and shares, I say, and I have a five percent yield over the course of the next thirty years, you're actually you'll have maybe a 250 grand investment and 750 grand that you've actually made in terms of your investment. So the numbers rapidly begin to increase um, when you begin to compound that. And the, the compound interest and compound accumulation of money is your single greatest asset of everything that you can do um, in, in, in investment. The power of compounding is something that you, 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 can't, you can't compare it to anything else. Um, it's, there's, there's nothing else that you can do that's going to accumulate you wealth that quickly. 
There's a really interesting stat about Warren Buffett and his wealth about, let's say, now I'll have to, I'm a little loose on the figures, I don't know them exactly, but let's say he's got 90 billion total wealth and he's made 86.5 of that after his 65th birthday. Now the guy is now 90, so he's had another 25 years to do that, but he's made, what, do the math about uh, close to 20 times as much as he made in his first 65 years in the most in the most recent 25 years and you can look at though there's people there's charts that you can see on google that plot how this wealth is growing and it really does just it's it's actually hard to get your head around how much it begins to increase exponentially towards the end it's just another testament to the power of compounding and i know we all go on about it a lot but there's a reason for that and uh yeah and it's come up again in this podcast and and that's why the lifetime ISA um yeah has to to serve um as number one on that list is because the view is to compound that over a long period of time. You know, if you if you've already got a property and um you already own one, um there's there's no point putting money into a stocks and shares ISA if you're looking at that, you know, even if you're looking over a ten or fifteen year period, you're better off doing something else. The light uh, the the stocks and shares ISA has to be the long game. Um Otherwise, you're not going to really make that final cream. You're not going to get that, that cheese that you want. Interesting. Fair enough. There'll be a lot of people listening to this that haven't invested yet, or maybe they're just dipping their toe into the waters, the murky waters of investing at this point. What would you say to them? Um, get involved. Get involved. Get involved. <laughs> yeah, get involved. The first thing, you, you, you've, got, you've got to get involved. Um, you've got to set up your long-term goals. You've got to set up your medium-term goals and your short-term goals. You know what? What are you actually trying to do, or what are you trying to actually achieve? Now, the goals, um, the goals will rapidly change as well as you begin to um, go from maybe an associate to a principal. Um, maybe you begin investing in other things, and you have more income coming in. Your goals might rapidly change, but you can adjust and and, and change those goals as long as the goals are, are going up. You know, if the goals are coming down, and it's a it's a it's a bigger problem. Then you know, maybe you've not set them right in the first place. But the, the goals are there to be, you know, in the short and the medium term to be shattered, and then that long term should forever be increasing or should ever be getting further and further away. Yeah, Dav, I get the sense you're a man with a plan, and you spend a lot of time thinking about this. So hats off. Some real knowledge shared out on this podcast. Thanks very much for that. The LISA one is no an, the LISA one is an interesting one, and I must say it's something that I'd never really considered myself. I've just been using my stocks and shares ISA and maxing that out where I can, and it's never really entered my thinking. The new tax year is coming up, everybody, so that's another chance for you to your ISA limit's going to be reset. So maybe it's worth reevaluating before now in April the sixth, I believe it is, which is the new tax year off the top of my head, and it's definitely giving me some food for thought, one hundred percent. Dav, we're going to wrap up now. Is there anything else you'd like to say just in conclusion? No, I think uh, no, thanks very much for having me. Um, I appreciate being asked to, co- to come onto the, um, to the podcast. For anybody that's kind of thinking about um, getting their own practice, uh, one, do it. Um, if anybody that doesn't really know where to start with the investment, the ISA is the first place that I would always recommend. Um, and just dip your toes and don't overcommit. And, you know, if you're, like you say, you know, if you're finding that you're trying to get involved in Forex and you see the money's going up and down and you're looking at your screen thinking, oh, this is going too fast, your position size is too big. 
Um, for anybody that wants to learn how to do Forex, babypips.com, do the course on there. And then once you've done that course, it'll give you a good foundation to enter the markets. Um, and I think that's the best place to start for people that will really want to get involved in Forex, uh, ISA. I mean, you've had really good property people on the on the uh, podcast, so you don't really need any advice from me on that. And as for a practice owner, yeah, get involved. Awesome. Yeah. And that's the another misconception about investing as well, is that people think that it's inherently something that you have to spend all your time staring at a screen to do. It's not. There's no one shoe that fits and there's a setup, there's an asset out there for everybody. The trick is just to know what you're doing, know what your expectations are and also have a plan, as Dav says. Dav, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. As well as that, if anybody who is listening to this is not on the Facebook group, it might be worth checking out Dentists Who Invest, a community group for dentists who enjoy trading on Facebook. That is the original, the OG. This is where the whole podcast became inspired from. If anybody is listening to this and they haven't uh, come across that group just yet, the group is there for you. It's very much along the same lines of what we've had this podcast on, all about investing safely, how to grow your money, how to make your money work for you with a dental twist so it's interesting stuff feel free to check it out on facebook if it sounds like your thing dav it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for coming on the show all right thanks very much for your time thanks for having me pleasure my friend thank you for being so generous with your time this evening and i hope we speak again very soon in a bit perfect thanks if you enjoyed this podcast please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.